Blessed Sunday everybody and welcome once again to Grow Point Dumageri Worship at Home. Now today we will have our Vision Sunday. But before we talk about what the vision is all about, let's bow our heads and join our hearts together in prayer and ask the Lord's blessing. Our dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your love for us, Lord, that you have demonstrated by sending your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross of Calvary more than 2,000 years ago, and there he paid for all of our sins. Lord Jesus, thank you for laying down your life and paying the debt you did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have opened our eyes to the truth of how sinful we are and how needy we are of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that brought us victory over sin, death, and hell. And we thank you for your grace. We thank you for, Lord God, helping us to trust in Jesus Christ as our only Lord and Savior. And now we are growing spiritually. Lord, it is our prayer that we will continue to grow, that we will continue to know you more and love you more and serve you with our lives and help others to do the same. Oh God, I pray you would bless our time together as we talk about your vision and your mission for us as your people. We commit this hour to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is Vision Sunday for Grow Point Dumageri, and normally in our Vision Sunday, we will talk about God's plan and, our, and God's purpose for all of us as His people, whom He has brought out of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of His dearly beloved Son, Jesus Christ. The Lord has called us out of the world to live for Him and His glory, to live according to His purpose and plan. Listen to some of these verses that I will quote to you from the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, especially beginning in uh, chapter 2, reads this. I will read verses 1 and 2 first. Bible says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now, who now works in the sons of disobedience. So God is telling us that we were born as sinners. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were spiritually dead people. We were separated from our God. We are aliens to the promises of the gospel. We are not God's children. Yes, He created us, but because of sin that caused separation between us and the Holy God, we were born dead spiritually because death came at the moment that Adam and Eve sinned. We died spiritually. The spirit part of us that has the ability to relate to God, to commune to God, died. Thus, we were separated from Him. Bible goes on to say, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It is because of God's mercy, it is because of God's love, that He reached down to us by sending His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, more than 2,000 years ago, died on the cross, 
Not because he sinned, not because he violated God's law or broken God's commandments. He died on the cross because of your sins and my sins. He died in our behalf because God is rich in mercy. Because of his great love, he took our place and paid our debt that we could not pay. By grace, he saved us. God saved us even though we don't deserve it. That's grace. He raises up together with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to think about that this morning. When you were born, when you and I were born on this, on this earth, in this life, we were born as sinners, separated from our God with no hope. But then because God loves us, because of God's grace, because of love of God's mercy, He reached down to us. Verse 8 to verse 10, the Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I know that in this culture, many of us grew up with the teaching that in order for a person to go to heaven and be safe, we need to do good works. So the formula has been, okay, faith plus good works equals salvation. But the Bible is telling us it's not the right way to go to heaven. The Bible is teaching us it is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone that we get saved. Good works follow after our salvation. So it's faith in Jesus Christ equals salvation and good works. It's the other way around. And then in chapter 4, after explaining who we are in Christ, what we have received because of His love, of His mercy, and His grace, He then went on to exhort the, the Christians in Ephesus to live according to who we are and what we have in Christ. In chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. We are called to live in holiness. We are called to live in love, to walk in harmony, to walk in the Spirit, to walk in wisdom, to walk you know, in the likeness of Christ, to live like the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So here we are. Okay? If you were following what Paul has been telling these Christians in Ephesus, he says, you Gentiles were once alienated from God. You were born sinners, dead in your trespasses and sins, with no hope, with no salvation, no eternal life, no forgiveness. But God in His love and mercy and grace reached down to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Salvation has been given as a gift through 
His Son, Jesus Christ, that we can receive by turning away from our sins and trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then He says, now you're ready to walk or lead a life of good works. You now, because of who you are in Christ and what you have in Him, are to walk worthy of the manner with which you have been called. And He says that God has raised up leaders in the church to equip the church for the work of the ministry so that we can edify one another and help one another so we can grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, God has called us out of darkness, out of the world. He has given us victory over sin, death, and hell so that we can live the kind of life He has called us to live. As a matter of fact, God already has a vision for what or how our life should be like. To put it in one simple statement, God has called us to live for His glory according to His plan. And His plan is, of course, Revealed for us here in the Holy Scriptures. So the question for us this morning is this. How can we fulfill our calling and live the way God wants us to live? How can we live according to God's purpose and plan? And in our vision meeting today, in our vision Sunday, I just want to tackle, you know, very simply. What is a vision for the ministry? Or more accurately, what is God's vision for us? And then we will talk about the vision of Grow Point Dumagueti Church. Because this is Grow Point Dumagueti Vision Sunday. So let's talk about that. What is a vision for ministry? You see, in the, in the Old Testament, vision often occurs as a means of supernatural revelations. It is typically a communication between God and His chosen earthly recipient, such as prophets or kings or even ordinary unknown people. Let me give you a few examples to help us. In Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 1, Ezekiel said this, that the Spirit lifted him up and brought him to the east gate of the house of the Lord, which faces the east. And behold, at the entrance of the gateway, there were 25 men. And I saw among them Jazaniah, the son of Azur, and Pilatiah, the son of Benaiah, princes of the people. So, here is an example of a vision, how God brought Israel to a particular part of, you know, uh, the house of the Lord, and then God showed him something. God showed him some, some people, some individuals. That's the vision. In Hosea chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, Bible says, I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents. And in the days of the appointed feast, I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions. And through the prophets gave parables. So visions were God's communication to His chosen earthly recipients, His chosen instruments to convey a message, to you know, give them a picture of the near future or a far you know, future you know, picture. 
Visions in the Old Testament given by God to the prophets were not just about what they were seeing at the moment, but oftentimes about what is about to happen in the future. In a similar manner, when we talk about the vision for ministry, we are referring to God's preferred picture of the future for His own people and for the work and the mission that He has called us to do. For the work that He has left for us to accomplish. That's what we're talking about when we talk about vision for the ministry. George Barna, founder of the Barna Group, which is a market you know, research firm specializing on religious beliefs and behaviors, said this, and I quote, Vision for ministry is a clear mental image of a preferable future imparted by God to His chosen servants and is based upon an accurate understanding of God, self, and circumstances. And he went on to say that vision is a picture held in your mind's eye of the way things could or should be in the days ahead. Visions connote a visual reality, a portrait of conditions that do not exist currently. In other words, vision for ministry simply reflects what God wants to accomplish in and through us to build His kingdom. To put it in another way, vision for ministry is God's preferred picture of the future for His people and for His kingdom. Did you catch that? That's the vision. So when we talk about vision, you know, for the Grow Point Dumagere ministry, when we talk about Vision Sunday, we're talking about what God wants, okay, for His people and for His kingdom. This is God's, you know, picture of the future. This is God's preferred image for us in the future. I want to emphasize a few things when we talk about vision. Vision is something that God imparts. It is God who gives the vision to the leaders He has appointed. And it is obviously something that is consistent to His will and to His ways and normally directly related to the work that He has entrusted for His people to accomplish. And, you know, it's something uh, related to His work in them and through them. Okay? A biblical vision or vision for ministry should not be a product of a leader's selfish or self-centered desires and personal ambitions. It should be the fruit of a serious search for God's will and a humble submission to His Word, the authority of God's Word, and a willingness to follow His ways in accomplishing His wonderful work in the lives of His people and through the people of His kingdom. It should not be something self-centered, not just for the benefit of the leaders. No, it is God's plan. It is God's purpose. It is God's program. It is God's picture of the future for His people and the work He has entrusted to them to build and advance His kingdom. And as mentioned earlier, okay, second thing I want to emphasize, a vision concentrates or focuses on the future. Perhaps a better future, which is preferable to the current situation. 
A clear biblical vision brings hope and yet it also brings challenges and it motivates those to whom it has been given. It draws us to want something better or something bigger perhaps for the glory of God. Vision entails change. When you talk about vision, you're talking about change. Okay? When you talk about vision, it's not about maintaining the status quo, but stretching and searching and seeking to go beyond the present existence, the present state, the present situation. So when you talk about vision, you're talking about some positive changes in the future. Vision entails change, okay? It is not about duplicating the past in the present or in the future. Again, as Barna said, and I quote, The means to success in the ministry is to focus upon God and to be committed fully to His vision for your ministry and to what He will do with you and through you in the future. That is a biblical vision. And it is very important that as a Christian believer, you know what God's vision is for you as His child and as His you know, servant. To have a mental image, to have a mental picture of the future is what will keep you going and moving forward by faith when the going gets rough. Okay? In other words, kung naakay clear, okay, nga picture of the future. And if you are convinced about God's vision for your life and for your ministry, if you are convinced about God's will, about God's purpose for you, about God's plan for you, when the going gets rough, you will keep moving forward by faith because you know exactly what God is planning to accomplish in and through you. You see, when you have a personal conviction and clarity of God's vision, you will have a personal commitment to pursue it. The commitment will prevent you from stopping short or arriving at the wrong destination. Let's look at Mary as an example. Because she clearly understood God's vision for her. She remained faithful even when she had to face various challenges and difficulties in her life. In Luke chapter 1, verses 26, down to verse 38, it's quite a lengthy passage. But if you read that passage, okay, it, an angel of the Lord named Gabriel appeared to Mary and sent her a message from God. In verse 28, the angel said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Then, you know, the Bible says she was greatly troubled at saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might, this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, now this is God's vision for her now. This is God's plan for her future. This is what's going to happen to you in the near future, Mary. And behold, the Bible says, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And then get the guy and Mary a picture of what this, this you know, son of hers will be like. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And for his kingdom there will be no end. Mary asked a question, how can that happen? I'm a virgin. Of course, the angel explained to her, it's the Holy Spirit who will come upon you. The power of the Most High God will overshadow you. Therefore, the child 
to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Because nothing is impossible with God. And then Mary's response was simply, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And you know, Mary's life was not easy at all. I mean, beginning katong padong pa siya mga anak, when she was about to give birth, they had to move from one place to the other, and she ended up giving birth, you know, in a manger. Wow! And then she had to run for their lives and to keep, you know, Jesus safe because there's this wicked king who you know, heard about the, the birth of the Savior, the birth of the King of the Jews, the birth of the Messiah, and he decided to kill all of the babies in the, in, in the land. And then when Jesus was growing up, people were mocking her and she was being ridiculed. You know, Jesus being accused of being an illegitimate child and so on and so forth. It wasn't an easy life until the very day she had to witness the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. There he died and was buried in a borrowed tomb. It wasn't an easy life, but because Mary clearly understood God's vision for her. She was convinced. And so she was committed. She was committed to God's plan and God's purpose for her. Another good example, of course, is the Apostle Paul. In the book of Acts, we can read a story of his missionary journeys and the life-threatening challenges and persecutions he needed to encounter for the sake of fulfilling God's vision for his life and God's purpose for him to be the preacher, to be the, the apostle to the Gentiles, to be the messenger of the gospel of salvation to the Gentiles. And he embraced that as his own mission and God's vision for his life. In Acts chapter 9, it's recorded for us the conversion of the Apostle Paul. And you know, you know the story, he got blind. And then in, chap I mean, in chapter 9 verse 10, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard for many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here, with authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord Jesus said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him. I'll give him a vision. Okay, This was God's vision for Ananias. Ananias, here's this man. Go to him. And then God told Ananias, I'm going to give Saul a vision. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name was God's communication to Ananias to look for this man named Saul of Tarsus in a straight street called Straight. There he's praying. And while he's praying, God gave Paul a vision of a man named Ananias coming in. And God says, I'm going to give him a vision of how much he will suffer for, for my name. And in verse 20, immediately, what did Paul do? 
he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for, the, for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews to live in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 23, When many days had passed, the Jews Blooded to kill him. And really, that's been the story of the Apostle Paul. Like Jesus said to Ananias, he will give him, Paul, a vision of how much he would suffer for the name of Christ. And Paul indeed suffered a lot. He was stoned, he was thrown to jail, and so on and so forth. So many life-threatening challenges, difficulties, opposition, and persecution he needed to endure. But Paul was so convinced. It was so clear to him. God has called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. To be God's messenger. To proclaim and preach the mystery of the gospel. The message of the gospel to the Gentiles. So Paul endured. And Paul was committed until the very end. Because he was convinced of God's vision, of God's purpose, of God's you know, plan for him. And God already gave him a picture of his preferred future for the Apostle Paul. That's the importance of knowing God's vision. That's the importance of you know, knowing God's plan and God's purpose for us. Do you have a personal you know? Picture of God's future for your own life. Do you know God's plan for you? Do you know God's purpose for your life? Do you have God's vision for you? For Paul, it was very clear and he was very convinced and thus he was very committed until the end. In Romans chapter 11 verse 13, Paul said this, Now I am speaking to you Gentiles because that's God's calling for me. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. You see, a clear vision or view of the future stirs the heart and the mind of the people who catch it. Those who are convinced by it will commit to do it and pursue it, even if it means losing their lives. With that, the leadership of Grow Point Dumaguete Church desires to clearly, consistently, and creatively communicate the vision that God has given us as a local church whom he has planted in this city, we are convinced that the vision we have for our church family is consistent with the Lord's vision for his people and for his kingdom. It is also consistent with God's purpose for us and his plan to reach the world with the gospel and the power of the spirit, his word and the prayers and the ministry of his own people. Ultimately, Pursuing God's vision and mission for us is all for God's glory and honor. So that is what we call vision for ministry. Okay? It starts with having a vision for your own life. God's vision for you. Okay? It is given by God. It focuses on the future. And it concerns God's work in us and God's work through us. That is a biblical vision. So let's come to the very thing okay, that we're gathered here for, and that is to know and to understand 
the vision of Grow Point Dumagiri. That's my second point. What is Grow Point Dumagiri's vision for ministry? And let us begin by remembering our mission. What is our purpose? What is the reason for our existence as a local church? And the reason of our existence really as Christians and as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give to you our mission. If you don't know this, this is our purpose statement. This is our mission. This is why we are here. And we say that we exist to glorify God by making disciples in the spirit of love. That's why we're here. That's our reason for existence. This is our purpose. This is why we exist as a local church here in this city. We exist to bring glory to God by making disciples in the spirit of love. Because in Psalms 115 verse 6, the Bible says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay? Let everything that has breath praise Him. In Colossians 1, 16 to 17, the Bible also teaches us that we are created through Him and for Him. Created through Him, by Him, and for Him. We exist for God's purposes and plans. We exist for Him. We don't exist and we don't live for our plans. We don't exist and live for our own desires, for our own ambitions, for our own aspirations. No, we were created by Him, through Him, and for Him, for His honor and glory. That's why in 1 Corinthians 10.31, the Bible is teaching us and is telling us, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Because you and I exist to glorify Him. That's our ultimate purpose. That's why we exist, to bring honor and glory to our God, to exalt Him. What does it mean to glorify God anyway? To glorify God means to make Him known or manifest. It also means to show or exhibit. Okay? So the next logical question is, what is it about God that we are to make known, manifest, show, or exhibit? As a church, remember we are the body of Christ and Jesus is our head. So to glorify God means to display the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Individually, we are to let Jesus live out His life in us and through us by daily living by faith in Him and for Him. Galatians 2.20, Paul says this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. I joined Him in His crucifixion. I died on the cross with Jesus. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life, listen to this, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It is no longer me who is living. It is Christ living His life through me. And may that be our desire. May that be our prayer. May that be our goal. May that be our you know, intention, our purpose every single day to let Jesus live out His life through us. How can we do that? How can we let Jesus live His life through us? Because you may be wondering, some of you may be wondering, how can that happen when Jesus is already seated at the right hand of the Father? Well, remember, at the point of salvation, when you repented of your sins, and when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, something else happened. Yes, you were forgiven of your sins. Yes, you received eternal life. Okay? Yes, you know, you've been clothed with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, making you acceptable in the sight of the Holy God, and allow, you'll be allowed to you know, 
enter into His kingdom for all eternity. But something else gloriously happened in that day. You know what happened in that moment? The Holy Spirit of God came to dwell inside of you. And he dwell, He's dwelling inside of you for a specific reason. And Jesus told His disciples what that purpose is. John 16, 13, Jesus told them, When the Spirit of truth comes, for at this time the Spirit of God has not been given yet. It happened, okay? Uh, the indwelling of the Spirit took place at the moment of, you know, the Pentecost, when Jesus already has attended to the Father. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but what He hears, <clears throat> He will speak and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Listen to what He said in verse 14. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. So it is the Spirit of God who glorifies Christ. It is the Spirit of God who lives within us, who will display, who will manifest, who will show, who will exhibit the life of Christ in and through us as His people, as His church, as His body. Did you catch that? So that's how we allow Jesus to live out His life through us. It's by allowing the Comforter, the Spirit of Christ who lives within us, to manifest and display the life of Christ through us. Secondly, we do that by committing to live for the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 reminds us that for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ and has trusted him as our Lord and Savior should no longer be living for ourselves, but we should be living for the Lord. We should be living for his plan. We should be living according to his purpose. We should be living for the one who died for us and rose again on the third day, paying our debt, you know, de delivering us from the power of sin and from the penalty of sin, giving us eternal life, clothing us with his righteousness. In short, we glorify God by allowing Jesus to live out His life through us, His life of love and devotion to God, which is evidenced by His obedience and commitment to God's will for His life. We are to reflect the love that Jesus had for the Father and His dedication to obey the Father's will to accomplish the work that the Father has sent Him to do. In short, we are to love God as Jesus did and obey His mission like Jesus did. To live like Jesus requires personal commitment to obey God's commands. And Jesus gave us the great command, which is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors as ourselves. And He also gave us the great commission, that is to make disciples of all nations. So let's talk about that. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, uh, Gatusa verse 40. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor 
as yourself, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So if we're going to allow Jesus to live out his life through us, then we are going, we need to let the Holy Spirit live out the life of Christ through us. And when you consider the life of Christ, okay, we can describe his life as a life of love and devotion to the Father. He loved the Father because that's the greatest commandment. And Jesus is telling us we are to do the same. You need to love God with your whole being and love others as yourself. And then not only that, he also gave us the great commission. Jesus came and said to them after his resurrection and before his ascension, he came and appeared to his disciples and he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Based on the authority, he, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if we're going to let the Spirit of God display the life of Christ, not only will it manifest His love for the Father, it should also manifest His dedication to the work that God has sent Him to accomplish. And that work has been passed on to us. And that work is the work of making disciples of all nations. So our mission is to glorify God by obeying the great commandment and the great commission. That's how we glorify God. That's how we manifest His life. In our official statement, we say that we exist to glorify God by making disciples. That's the great commission in the spirit of love. That's the great commandment. And we need to realize that to love God with our whole being is not just a commandment for the Christians. It's for all humanity to obey. Failure to obey the great commandment is sin. And all sin is punishable by eternal death in a place called hell, as mentioned in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. That death, of course, is not just physical death. It's eternal death in the, in the flames of hell. So as Christians, we are called and commanded by our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, to go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, we are to proclaim the gospel of salvation to all who are lost so that they can be forgiven of their sins, including the sin of that loving God, okay, and disciple them to obey God's commands. Remember, Jesus said, teach them to observe or to obey all that I have commanded you. But we need to realize that we cannot we cannot teach anybody to obey God if we are not obeying Him ourselves. So if we're going to obey, you know, the Great Commission, we need to realize, okay, that we need to make sure we're living a life of love and obedience to God ourselves. If you're going to disciple someone, if you're going to teach somebody to love God and obey Him, you need to be loving God and obeying Him yourself. That's our vision. Really, our vision is God's vision. It is God's desire. It is God's plan for all of us. And here's how we state our vision. Okay? We want to see every believer growing as a healthy disciple who makes disciples in small groups. Now, for this Sunday, we'll focus on the first part of the statement. 
We want to see every believer growing as, as a healthy disciple who makes disciples. Because this is what God wants. This is God's picture. This is God's desire. This is God's plan for every single believer. In fact, it is God's plan for every single person. You know, a person who is not yet saved, Sama Sagi mentioned Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, needs to realize that God in His love and His mercy and His grace has reached down to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, so that by grace through faith we might be saved. And after you get saved, you need to grow. You need to learn to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. And you need to be about the great commission of making disciples of all nations. You need to be growing as a healthy disciple who makes disciples. And we'll talk more about what you know a healthy disciple is in our you know, in, our, in the coming Sundays. You need to realize that when we repented of our sins and made a decision to trust in Jesus Christ alone as our Savior, the Bible says that we have been born again. That's the, how Jesus Christ described it in John chapter 3. So if a person repents of sin and trusts in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, his dead spirit, described by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, which is dead in sin and trespasses, will come alive. The Spirit of God will give life to your dead spirit. Now you're born again. Now you can connect with God. Now you can have a relationship with God. Now you can fellowship with the Lord. Because the spirit part of you is the, spirit, is the part of you that can connect and relate to God. Our spirit, which was dead in our trespasses and sins, became alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. We became spiritually alive in Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And when you have life, you should have growth. Because growth is an evidence of life. If there is no life, there will be no growth. But if there is life, there has to be growth. Now, I'm not saying there must be growth. Because there are people who have life, spiritual life, but are not growing. It doesn't mean they're not alive. It just means they're not healthy. Okay? Because if you are spiritually alive, but you are not spiritually growing, then you are not spiritually healthy. Something is wrong. Something is not right. So, we say okay, that God's desire is not only for you to have spiritual life, God's desire is for you to be spiritually growing. He wants you to be spiritually healthy. That's why in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says, But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. In other words, it is God's desire for every believer to be growing. Or let me backtrack a little bit. It is God's desire for every human being to be saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and come to the saving knowledge of Christ. He wants every human being to be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But those of us who are saved, He wants us all to be growing spiritually. A Christian who is not growing is a carnal Christian described for us by Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as, a, as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, as unto babes in Christ. 
I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able, neither yet now you are able. For you are yet carnal, for whereas um, there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? I was quoting King James Version there. So Paul is saying, you're not growing. You're stagnant in your spiritual life. You are not healthy. You're carnal. How many of you would say that if you see a baby, an infant, okay, drinking milk in a bottle, in a bottle, you would say, well, that's normal. But what if you say you see an, a teenager, okay, drinking a bottle of milk, and by the way, he doesn't eat meat, doesn't eat rice, doesn't eat fish, doesn't eat anything else, but he's dependent totally and only with the milk as his food. Now, you would say, that's not normal. And by the way, that's not healthy as well. Right? In the same way, there's so many Christians who've been Christians for many years, but they are still babies in Christ. They are spiritually alive, don't get me wrong. They are safe, but they're carnal. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 dealt with some of them. Some of those who are not growing. Some of those who are stagnated. Verse 12 in Hebrews 5, Bible says, For though, listen to this, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Obviously, God's desire is for all believers to grow spiritually and be spiritually healthy. We are not to remain as spiritual babies who are dependent upon spiritual milk. We are to grow healthy and eat spiritual solid food. In fact, the Hebrew writer, Hebrews writer rather, said this, that there should come a point when a Christian okay, becomes a teacher of biblical truth and not be stuck with the ABCs of the Christian faith. But many Christians are stuck with the basic teachings and the basic you know, principles and the ABCs of the Christian life because they are carnal. And to grow and be spiritually healthy is God's vision for all believers. That is God's design. That is God's desire. That is God's delight to see His people growing in their love and relationship with the Lord. Growing in their commitment to do the work that God has given us to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. Motivated by our love for God and our love for men. That is God's vision for us. That is God's vision or picture for our future. Yes, you might say, well, you know what, good. I am not, you know, a person who can truly say, I love God. I am not even involved in the Great Commission. I am not preaching the gospel. I'm not even praying for the lost. I'm not seeking, you know, opportunities or creating opportunities to share the gospel or simply my testimony and so on and so forth. Well, don't be discouraged. To hear God's vision for you should encourage you. 
Okay? All you need to do is repent and then commit, recommit to God. Pursue God's vision. If you realize today that you are not growing, well, this message is for you. I want to encourage you. You can grow in Christ. You can grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, you should be growing. First of all, you should desire to grow. You should desire to see yourself as a growing disciple. As a growing, healthy follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who makes other followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk about you know, what it means to be a healthy follower of the Lord in the next, in, in, uh, in the next message. And we'll also talk about you know, the environment we're in. We can grow spiritually. We can grow spiritually. So we'll describe what it means to be a healthy disciple and we'll describe the environment so that, you know, that's where you can grow as a healthy disciple. So as we end, you know, this is our picture of the future given to us by God in His Word. We want to see here in Grow Point Dumaguete, every believer growing as a healthy disciple who makes disciples in small groups. And that is consistent with our mission. You see, if every believer in Grow Point Dumaguete is growing as healthy disciples who, makes, who make disciples in, in small groups, then we can live with, uh, with our purpose. And that is to glorify God by making disciples in the spirit of love. We can live bringing Him glory by obeying the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment if we can all, as believers, be growing as healthy disciples who make disciples in small groups. So in conclusion, let me ask you these questions. Are you a believer of Jesus Christ today? If not, that's your starting point. That's your starting point. You need to come to a point where you realize you are a sinner who needs God's forgiveness. You are a sinner who deserves to go to hell according to what the Bible says. You are a sinner who needs Jesus to forgive you, to cleanse you of all of your sins by His blood, to give you His righteousness so that you will become acceptable in the sight of God and that God will let you into His heaven. You need to repent of your sins and ask God's forgiveness so that you might be forgiven. Are you a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you a person who believes that your religion can save you? Are you a person who believes that your good works will save you? Are you a person who believes that by doing good things and by praying and you know, by giving to the poor and by doing all of these good things, religious things, you will earn your way to heaven? If you are that person, the Bible is telling you, and I'm telling you in the authority of God's word, you are not saved and you are not on your way to heaven. Do not be deceived. No religion can save. Only Jesus Christ can save you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes into the Father except through me. And as we've quoted at the beginning of this, of this message, the Bible says, for by grace, God's unmerited favor. In other words, you're not worthy of it. I'm not worthy of it. Okay? By grace, you are saved through faith. By trusting in Jesus Christ. It's not by being religious. It's not by doing all those good things, although those good things are good, but they're not God's appointed way for you to go to heaven, for you to receive His forgiveness, for you to have eternal life. The Bible says you are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. It is God's gift. 
If it's a gift, it is for free. You don't need to work for it. You don't need to pay for it. You only need to receive it. How do you receive that? Bible says, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior. You can do that by calling to Jesus Christ right now. Right now. Okay? I'm going to give you a model prayer. Now, this is just a model. This is just you know, to show you how you can call upon the Lord so that you might be saved. You can come before Jesus right now where you're seated or standing or whatever your posture is. You can you know, come to Jesus Christ by faith. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner. And because of my sins, I deserve to go to hell. But I understand that you love me. And you died for me on the cross. And you rose again on the third day. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me by your blood. Give me eternal life. Right now, I give to you my 100% trust. And I believe in you alone as my only Savior. In Jesus' name. If you pray that prayer sincerely and seriously in your heart, Bible says you are saved. Bible says God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a guarantee. That's a promise from a God who cannot lie. He says you will not perish. You will not go to hell. You will have everlasting life in heaven if you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. So I hope that you are, first of all, a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you can have life. You can have spiritual life. And now that you have spiritual life, you need to desire to grow. You need to desire to be a growing, healthy disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. If you have already trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, perhaps many years ago, let me ask you a question. Are you living for the Lord today? Do you love God with all of your heart? Do you seek to glorify Him with all that you do and say? Can you say that you love God? That He is your number one? And do you love others as you love yourself? Do you love other Christians as Jesus loves us? How would you evaluate yourself? Are you a growing Christian spiritually? Are you growing your faith and relationship in God? Have you caught God's vision for you and the church family? That every believer should be growing as healthy disciples who makes disciples in small groups by God's power for God's glory. Did you catch that? That is God's vision for you. I hope that you will desire it, that you will pursue it. If there are things that are not clear to you, seek for God to give you clarity and let God convince you so that you will be committed to His vision for you. May the Lord bless you all. Thank you very much.